0: and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AEMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately two and a half trillion dollars in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AMOS global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Short. After weeks of turmoil in the crypto markets, we decided to revisit this topic to cut through the noise and speculation and get to the bottom of what's been really going on. At the centre of the recent turmoil is Bitcoin, the most established cryptocurrency, which has been declining from a peak of around $67,000 last November to fighting to stay above $20,000. Other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Solana have suffered a similar fate.
1: The steady drop off has been punctuated by several sharp crashes, brought on by a series of market events, including the collapse of Terra USD, an algorithmic stablecoin, and events which caused Celsius Network to temporarily freeze withdrawals. Bitcoin appears to have found a flaw, but concerns remain about how correlated the crypto market is to movement in equities and further expected interest rate hikes. Many market commentators are warning that this is just a temporary reprieve for the embattled crypto asset sector, whilst those in the space argue that the current volatility may serve the positive purpose of trimming the fat from the market, which will emerge humbler and with a greater emphasis on risk management and operational best practice.
0: To make sense of it all, we checked in with a long short favorite, Henry Arslanian, and regular listeners of the long short will recognize Henry from episode 11. Crypto and digital asset aficionados will also recognize Henry from his many appearances on the likes of CNBC, Bloomberg, as well as his very popular Future of Money series.
1: Henry is also the author of The Book of Crypto, a newly published guide to cryptocurrencies and the digital asset universe. So if you don't know your NFTs from your blockchain, this is the book for you. As well as that, Henry recently became the managing partner of a crypto hedge fund, Nine Blocks Capital Management.
0: So the first part of the podcast includes a lightning round with Henry to help better explain what cryptocurrencies are.
1: While in part two, we get to the hard questions as to why cryptocurrencies have fallen so hard in value lately
0: and where they go from here. We hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please do give it a rating and share the word. A
1: very warm welcome back to a long short favourite, Henry Arslanian.
2: Thanks for having me, Drew and Tom. Great to be back on the on the long short. Very excited to be here.
0: So, Henry, it's been quite a period for crypto markets globally, and later in the episode, we will ask you to offer your perspective as to what is happening across crypto markets. But first, following your appearance in episode 10, we received several requests asking us to do an ABC of crypto. And of course, you've just published a book on all of this, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. My uh, thanks for bringing it up. My last book, The Book of Crypto, just came out a couple of weeks ago, and have to say, I've been very touched by the welcome. It's became the number one global release in financial services. It became already automatically a top ten bestseller as well. So, very, very happy for the Book of Crypto that came out. It's actually actually it, the, the reason of the book was to answer the question you just raised, Tom. Is many people, not only the hedge fund industry, but our broader financial services, often ask me, Henry, we're looking for one book like a primer that we can read this and have. On all the fundamentals of crypto. And that was the rationale behind the book of crypto, where literally, at about 400 pages, I cover all the essentials somebody needs to know about crypto from cryptocurrencies, crypto mining, stable coins, the DeFi, NFTs, Web3, CBDCs, and really try to give the foundations to everything. So, hopefully, it could be useful to many of uh, your listeners and to the community more broadly. And
1: we'll be very happy to add that book to the Longshore Book Club, which we are slowly starting up. But uh, to commemorate the, the publication of this book and the launch of uh, Nine Blocks Capital Management, uh, and to help our listeners understand a little bit more about the world of crypto, we just wanted to start by throwing some questions your way that we'd like to have you address in, in what we're uh, calling something of a, a crypto lightning
2: round. Let's do it.
0: Yes, yeah, so Drew and I have drafted 10 questions for you to explain what a crypto asset is, what's Bitcoin, how does one get a crypto asset, what are its advantages, disadvantages, who invests in crypto. So you're game to answer a question, To so borrow from your catchphrase. Let's go.
2: Let's do it. Always ready. Okay, so let's start with a, a nice easy one. What is a Cryptocurrency. <laughs> well, cryptocurrency. Let's give an example of Bitcoin. is for the first time uh, an asset that, for the we're able to store of value that we're able to shift, send from one person to another without any intermediaries. And this was really the innovation that we got in 2008 on October 30, 2008, from Satoshi Nakamoto, where we're able to send kind of a value uh, from one person to another without using any kind of intermediary, whether it's a payment company, uh, a bank, or any other kind of financial intermediary. So that is a short answer of what is, uh, what is a cryptocurrency.
1: And it does get a little bit more complicated than that.
2: So could you give us some examples of the types of cryptocurrencies that are out there now? Oof, yeah that's a it's a big one there's obviously a lot of uh, different types of what we call crypto assets in the market there's cryptocurrencies which is the first category we just mentioned a uh, bitcoin is the biggest example it's by far the biggest uh, the, the biggest by market cap and usage uh, then you have the second category which are stable coins which are digital assets that are backed one-to-one by fiat money so if, for example if i send you through a bitcoin you'll be very happy but you don't know what the price of that bitcoin will be a week a month a year from now whereas a stable coin it's worth a dollar today $1 dollar next week and dollar next month, unless it's one of these algorithmic stable coins with like Luna, and we can talk about that later as well. So you have cryptocurrency stable coins, and then you have utility tokens, um, which are examples like Ethereum, Sol and Solana, Algo and Algorand, uh, you know, uh, Tezos and many, many others, which are basically kind of a token that allows you to access the ecosystem. The best analogy of that is imagine you have an amusement park and I sell tickets that you're able to actually use those tickets to to go on the roller coaster. Doesn't give you any economic rights, doesn't give you any voting rights, but allows you to use that crypto that ecosystem. The analogy of a, of a amusement park, or a roller coaster, in the crypto world obviously doesn't exist, but it actually allows you to use that blockchain. Ethereum is a good example. Uh, and there's others as well. For example, there's security tokens, uh, which are really kind of digital assets that are tokenizing certain other – either digital assets or real-world assets. We have NFTs, which is non-fungible tokens which allows us for the first time to mathematically prove that a certain asset is unique. We have central bank digital currencies uh, that are digital currencies issued by the central bank, and the list goes on and on. So there's really a wide number of categories. Uh, By far, the biggest right now is the first one, cryptocurrencies, uh, and and the the second and third one, stable coins, as well as utility tokens, have a big chunk of of not only uh, total market cap, but also usage as well.
0: Wow, so much jargon in there. I think we'll have to get you back in for another episode, yeah. <laughs> Henry. But um, that,
2: That's like 100 pages of my book, so it's tough to put exactly, it in 10 seconds. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so
0: what, what, what do we mean then by mining for a currency?
2: Yeah. So uh, the way we achieve consensus in a traditional world, if I send you, Tom, $100, uh, the bank or the payment processor will literally kind of do the debits and the credits. They will kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, take away $100 on my account and put it uh, on your account. This obviously what you're talking about, Bitcoin, for example, where there are no intermediaries. The way we're able to achieve what we would call a consensus mechanism is really by by something we call Bitcoin mining, which is actually probably not a right term. It should more more be like Bitcoin accounting or Bitcoin bookkeeping, if you want. And basically, it's a process that actually verifies, uh, puts all the transactions together every 10 minutes and actually then verifies that which block is going to go on the blockchain. And actually, that becomes kind of, if you want, the equivalent of an audited account that the rest of the world uh, can see it. Uh, instead of having the big four, you have Bitcoin miners who are doing the same role. Instead of having audited financials, you have literally uh, blocks that are there that everybody can see uh, and, and this process takes place in the case of the Bitcoin network every 10 minutes uh, and and it's kind of that's what we refer to as Bitcoin mining uh, which is how the system is run.
0: So then how energy intensive is crypto mining? And what does all this mean then for crypto in a market that is looking to embrace ESG?
2: Yeah, excellent question. Again, I have about maybe 50, 60 pages of that in my book as well, but really to make that in 10 seconds, uh, what you'll see is that there are some certain consensus mechanisms like the one for Bitcoin, which is what we call proof of work that consumes a lot of electricity. This is very different from other consensus mechanisms. We have one of them, the very popular called proof of stake, which is used by other various cryptocurrencies, soon Ethereum, uh, like Solana, Algorand, and many others use variants of proof of stake. Um, proof of uh, Proof of work, which is what Bitcoin, uses, yes, consumes electricity. However, uh, of course, uh, from a when we look at it from an ESG perspective, which is very important uh, today, uh, when you look at it is that increasingly Bitcoin mining is using renewable sources. Depending on the data source you look at, uh, you know, the some of the latest official data we have is around 68%. Uh, it really depends on what source you look at. Uh, but basically uh, the main reason for that is actually when you're mining Bitcoin, you wanna have the cheapest source of electricity in many cases, that is renewable, hydro being a good example. And that's actually a lot of the Bitcoin mining is, is migrating towards renewables and also indirectly uh, using uh, cheaper electricity, but also renewable sources. Um, and there's a lot of research on this as well. Uh, back in a day when a lot of the Bitcoin mining was happening in China, in the wet season, it was happening in Sichuan province where there's a lot of hydro. There's actually a surplus of hydro. In the dry season, it would move to what we call the, the northeastern part, uh, Dongbei or you know Xinjiang and other, uh, Heilongjiang, other parts like that, where they were using coal. And the good news now is the majority of Bitcoin mining today happens in the United States. As we all know, there was a ban of Bitcoin mining in China last summer in July of 2021. And since then, a lot of what we call the hash rate, which is the kind of the percentage of Bitcoin miners around the world, has moved to the U.S. To the US. By the way, it's a large part to the states of Georgia and Texas. So interesting data point there, where a lot of it is actually being used by renewables. And this
1: is a tricky one, uh, given all the various types of cryptocurrencies that you, you mentioned earlier. But broadly, what are the advantages of a cryptocurrency over traditional money created by banks, i.e., fiat money?
2: Well, it uh, really depends of uh, what, what assets you're looking at. You know, for example, a good example is Bitcoin. In the case of Bitcoin, the monetary policy is very clearly defined every 10 minutes, we have 6.25 Bitcoin that are created. There will only be 21 million Bitcoin ever. That's it. There's no quantitative easing. There's no central bank involvement when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, So really, that's kind of one of the attributes people love. In very cases, very similar, by the way, to how people look at gold, for example. Uh, Other crypto assets have other benefits. A good example of it are stable coins. So stable coins, again, are digital assets that are backed one-to-one by fiat money. One of the big benefits there is allows you to send money around world 24 7 pretty instantaneously pretty much for free uh, today if you want to wire money let's say from london to hong kong over a weekend uh, first of all good luck it doesn't work on weekends uh, maybe your bank goes to church i would never figured that out why but also then the uh, the uh, the thing is there's also a lot of hidden fees explicit fees hidden fees fx fees uh, and also then you're subject to intermediaries whereas i could send you uh, through uh, a u.s dollar usdc stablecoin on a Sunday night at 2 a.m. from anywhere in the world to wherever, to you, whenever you're in the world, and it will, it will reach you in about uh, literally a matter of uh, less than a minute. So that's one of the benefits of stable coins. And then I can go on and on. Every kind of digital asset has its own pros and cons, but uh, I'll, I'll stop it there for now.
0: So are there any disadvantages then to holding cryptocurrencies, Henry?
2: Oh, yeah, of course there are. For example, if you're holding Bitcoin, uh, it's a very volatile asset at the moment, uh, as we saw the last couple of weeks. Uh, So that's one of the the downsides for certain cryptocurrencies. Volatility is definitely a problem and you need to be comfortable with that volatility. Second is actually what I call the user friendliness. Uh, You know, if today you want to go use a payment app or, you you know, to a certain extent, your bank, although I would argue the user experience is terrible, but at least people know how to use payment apps uh, right now. Whereas actually with crypto assets, Yes, you can use some of the centralized players where the user experience is very similar to traditional financial institutions. But if you want to hold your own crypto, it's actually not that easy. So you need a bit of awareness. It takes some time to get used to it. By the way, not to dissimilar to the early days of the internet when people were trying to get acquainted with the internet or other new technologies, Uh, using cryptocurrencies will just become easier and easier, not because of the asset per se, but because of the tools around that people will use crypto without even knowing they're using crypto. So there's some downsides on the asset side, the value side, volatility side, but also frankly, day-to-day usability as well. Uh, we're a bit in crypto now, maybe late 1990s, early 2000s of where the internet was. It's still a bit clunky, not ideal. There's a bit of, uh, you know, people are still afraid of it, but uh, it's definitely here to stay.
1: And, and obviously this question will, will vary based on jurisdiction, but for someone who maybe knows nothing about this, What are the main regulations and requirements that govern crypto assets?
2: That's another big one as well. I have another 40, 50 page on this in the book as well. Uh, But really, uh, I mean, putting my lower hat on, uh, there's a lot of regulatory clarity now in crypto. Unlike what people may want to believe, you know, for for the last couple of years, there's been actually quite a lot of improvements happening globally when it comes to digital assets regulatory clarity. Uh, Today, for example, in most large financial centers, if you're launching a crypto exchange, uh, you're launching even a crypto fund, there is actually reasonably well-defined crypto regulatory framework is a perfect no, does it answer all the questions? No, but is there something you can use as a basis? It's there. Uh, I would say there's uh, there's a couple of jurisdictions a lot of crypto companies are using in let's say the Americas. It's mainly the U.S. The U.S. is probably the ironically uh, one of the jurisdictions that has the most regulatory clarity today. It's a bit of a mix. There's a lot of different conflicting regulations, but there is actually to a certain extent a regulatory uh, presence that you can use. Other smart countries in in the in North in the Americas, Bahamas is a very good example. Bermuda is another one. There's actually Pretty good regulatory clarity today. If you move to Europe, EMIA, um, actually, where a lot of people are going right now, there's you know, is, is places like uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Dubai, the, in the UAE, where actually they set up a new regu- regulator specialized on crypto, which is the first globally where there's now a new regulator, hundred percent focused on crypto, called the VARA. Uh, and then obviously there is all the ones in Asia with with Singapore and Hong Kong to a certain extent. Uh, but as you can see, a lot of the big financial centers, if you look at it, have some kind of regulatory uh, framework for crypto and for sure this is going to improve over the next couple of months and years uh, so i would say that if anybody personally or as your organization you have you have cold feet uh, and are afraid of entering crypto because of regulatory reasons i think that's wrong you may not want to enter for other reasons but i think not wanting to enter because of regulatory concerns is probably uh not a not a concern anymore uh, it was two three years ago i would argue not anymore in 2022.
0: So this is really good stuff, Henry. And we're getting to the end of our our lightning round here. Just a couple of questions left. So in terms of who is buying cryptocurrency, who are the typical investors then?
2: Uh, Good question. It really depends on where you look at it. And there's a lot of data on this uh, that I've I've covered in many of my newsletters in the past and and other places. Uh, If you look at, let's say, retail users, I mean, to put things in perspective, only five years ago, there was only 5 million users of crypto exchanges globally. 5 million, that's it, five years ago. And now uh, we're over 300 million. I mean, to give you a size of how much things have changed on the retail side. Uh, second there's obviously a lot of stuff when you look at it on the uh, institutional side as well. Actually, the, the latest, uh, uh, you know, the PWC Elwood, the AMA crypto hedge fund report that we published is a very good indication uh, that says actually that some of the 67% of traditional hedge funds are looking at increasing their crypto allocations this year of the, of the hedge fund surveyed, which represented over 400 billion of, uh, in assets. So uh, there's actually a lot of institutional players are buying in. However, I would say if you look at crypto. Funds, for example, to make to very to make it relevant to the EMA audience, uh, the vast majority today of investors in crypto hedge funds are first uh, high net worth individuals not surprisingly. And second, family offices. We are seeing some of the large institutional players enter the market. I just came back from consensus in Texas, uh, where, you know, we had, you had 17,000 attendees. There you had not only all the big, some of the big pensions around the world, from the Canadian ones like OTPP, Kesu uh, Depot, uh, to some of the uh, US state pensions like Texas and uh, ERS and others, but also some of the sovereign ones as well like Adia was there, uh, the, the, uh, Temasek was there. So you're seeing some of these big sovereign players, one as well, uh, carefully uh, looking at the space as well and making some kind of uh, allocations and bets uh, on the future of crypto as well. You've anticipated our last
1: question a little bit, but because this is the long short, I do have to ask you directly about hedge funds involvement in this space. So uh, you've already mentioned the the report, which uh, Amy was very happy to contribute to. But just maybe referencing that, to to what extent are hedge funds interested in crypto assets?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, You know, uh, as somebody who spent many years in the hedge fund world, uh, you know, first as a hedge fund lawyer, then in prime brokerage for many years, uh, is uh, obviously this is a sector that I'm very, uh, you know, fond of. And I really want to see more hedge fund involvement in crypto. Uh, And what's been interesting is actually when you look at the data, uh, we are seeing increased levels, numbers of crypto, uh, sort of traditional hedge funds entering the space. I mean, just to put things in perspective, right, uh, Drew, if you look at it, according to the latest data, it... uh, the 67% of hedge funds that mentioned they want to increase their allocation, you know, uh, even all this, these hedge funds, uh, the majority of them are looking at allocating less than 1% of their AUM. But even 1% of the hedge funds surveyed represents over, uh, of, uh, over $4 billion in assets that will enter the crypto space. And you may say, yeah, that's still a very small amount, right? But let's not forget that the total size of the crypto hedge fund industry is around $4 billion only. By the way, this excludes VC funds, long-only funds, passive funds, but real hedge funds, like absolute return funds that we t- we think about, this is less than four billion dollars. So literally, like, what if the data is accurate this year, uh, the, the the capital that will come in from traditional hedge funds into the crypto space will be equivalent to the entire size of the crypto hedge fund industry, uh, which which shows how much there is still growth to be done in the space. I mean, to put things in perspective, if the crypto uh if we believe that the crypto hedge fund industry will be 10% of the total hedge fund industry today right which is 4 trillion dollars it grow and, and let's say that's four, that's a uh, 400 billion dollars that means we still have a 100x of the increase of the crypto hedge fund industry i mean this is a very uh, you know it's i think the data speaks of itself of how much growth there is potentially to have in the crypto hedge fund sector that was absolutely
1: excellent congratulations for completing the lightning round <laughs> The, no, bad news is, <laughs> the bad news is that is where the easy questions end, uh, because it's excellent to to understand all of that. But we really want to get to the meat of uh, the topic and, and put it in its current context. The past month has been very challenging. And I remember last time you came on, you said you don't necessarily check the prices day to day, but uh, it may still have come across your radar, the recent volatility. And, all, you know, there's not been it by any way uh, limited to, to digital assets. You know, all markets are down pretty much. But uh, crypto has definitely captured the, uh, the headlines with you know, notable coins such as Bitcoin and others down as much as 60, 70 percent since the start of the year. So the billion dollar question then is what's going on here and why has there been such a sharp fall?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, one that I think many people in the crypto ecosystem have been discussing in in, in recent weeks. I think, first of all, I think anybody that puts allocates to crypto needs to understand that it's obviously a volatile asset. There's no doubt about that, right? Uh, and and uh, while many in the crypto ecosystem kind of believe that a kind of Bitcoin could be as a hedge against inflation, for example, what we realize in practice, it actually goes more in line with, you know, uh, with uh, let's say tech stocks or other risk risk on assets. And that's something that we've been seeing in the last couple of years as well. Um, what, I mean, obviously the market crash has been quite significant, uh, if depending of what perspective you look at it. Uh, one thing that's been interesting is that uh, if you speak to many people in the crypto ecosystem, many people see this mar- this, this bear market in crypto potentially as a good thing because, for a couple of reasons. One of them, it clears a lot of, let's say, the the, the um, some of the players in the ecosystem. So it kind of does a cleanup of some of the other smaller players or the firms, frankly, who are not uh, operating at the institutional level. grade. I mean, it's not a surprise that uh, when you look at the crypto hedge fund ecosystem, my personal view is that we're going to have a significant percentage. It's, th- it's tough to put the number, but I would not be surprised that it hits up to 25 to 30 percent of crypto hedge funds may have either serious redemptions or literally shut down. In the next year, uh, because the data that we have, uh, if you look at some of our the, the, the data that was released in the latest crypto hedge fund report, uh, showed you that literally a significant percentage had exposure uh, to UST, for example, uh, you know, the, this, the, the stable coin that collapsed. I mean, to put things in perspective, uh, there was almost 50% of crypto hedge fund had exposure to Luna. And uh, around 30% of them had exposure to USD, which is Terra, uh, which is basically one of these algorithmic stablecoins. Um, you know, and I, as, as many of you in the industry know, whenever there's such a big downfall or when many, many, many allocators find out that the managers were actually deploying capital to some of these protocols where frankly, a lot of these things were predictable and people knew, knew they were going to happen, uh, I expect to see a lot of redemptions. And, you know, as as we have quarterly redemptions, end of June is an important, interesting date. But I think I'm watching the end of Q3 as well uh, to see um, how many redemptions we'll have in the sector. Uh, so I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. It's not a coincidence that we've had some of the large players, the likes of Celsius, for example, that at one point manage over $20 billion uh, having a, crypto hedge funds. I mean, they're more of a family office, but like Three Arrows Capital uh, based. In Singapore, um, that according to some uh, media reports, they were managing over ten yards, over ten billion dollars. Now, you know, uh, arguably, potentially, uh, you know, they will need to shut down as well. So, I think there was a lot of uh, issues with risk management and some of the things that we take for granted in a traditional hedge fund world. You know, counterparty risk, due diligence, operational due diligence, uh, you know, day-to-day risk management are things that let's say uh, the crypto industry sometimes didn't pay as much attention to as it should have. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the effects we're seeing right now. And by the way, this is not too dissimilar. I think many of us were in the industry in 2008 when the Lehman uh, Lehman collapse. We saw some of the effects as well. I think some of the older guys remember remember the LTCM days and the like. So I think these are, these are kind of events that are, I think, in the long term will be beneficial for the crypto industry. In the short term, uh, obviously, will cause quite a lot of pain.
1: AIMA putting ESG into practice is returning this September in person in London for the first time. The full day programme will address the basics of ESG integration, the latest developments in investor demands, new trends and themes and the regulatory developments that firms need to know about. Throughout the day, speakers will offer unparalleled insights into how to approach the integration of responsible investment techniques across a range of strategies, while offering an in-depth perspective on the evolution of industry approaches in the months and years to come. Join us at Convene 22 Bishopsgate to share in the discussion and network with peers both old and new as we look towards the future of sustainable investment.
0: It was so um Henry you've just preempted that the, the next question then in that as as you rightly say, comparisons have been drawn to previous financial crashes, financial market crashes over the last week alone. We had commentators compare the recent downdraft to the dot com crash of the early two thousand. And ultimately, the fascination for all things internet and the influence of the internet has proved to be correct, but not before we saw a huge reckoning across markets as the investment bubble there was unsustainable. And we've also heard from the CEO of a top crypto investment firm draw parallels between what's happening in crypto with the collapse of Terraloon and Stablecoin and the lending platform Celsius. You know having its challenges as well as being the industry's long-term capital management when you know back in 1998 we saw a highly leveraged investment fund nearly invoke a massive global financial crash so if you say those comparisons have been drawn there and we've also had the comparison to what's happened in recent weeks to the Lehman brothers so I'll put it to you, I think you had gone so much to say is that you see this as a moment that will pass. But if you are to make that comparison, maybe you don't. But is this what we're seeing now, a Lehman Brothers moment, or is it an LTCM moment for the crypto market?
2: Uh, yeah, excellent question. And it's a question that I've been discussing with many in the industry in recent weeks. Uh, personally, I believe it's more of a Lehman moment than an LTCM moment. I think it's, it's, it's an LTCM moment for some of the players. I think Three Arrows Capital with some of the bets going wrong at the same time is probably a good analogy. But I think overall for the industry, this is clearly a Lehman Brothers moment. And I think many of us who are in crypto, but who come from traditional finance, who come from the traditional hedge fund industry, have been advocating on the importance of operational due diligence, counterparty risk, risk management. And I have to say, uh, even somebody, as, as you mentioned at the start, you know, we, we're, just launching a, uh, we're launching a new crypto hedge fund where operational due diligence excellence is such a big priority. And I have to say, I've been often surprised that uh, investors or potential allocators are not asking that question even more. Right, they should they should inquire us about our independent directors. They should inquire us about how our gates are working. They should inquire us about how risk management is taking place. They should inquire manager, crypto hedge fund managers on how due diligence is performed on various counterparties. And I'm really hoping this event is actually going to turn the spotlight and actually bring attention to this topic. Uh, you know, in many cases, if you think about what happened with Lehman at a time, actually believe it. I was I was a I was a crypto I was a hedge fund lawyer back in the days that I was dealing with this Lehman uh, bankruptcy. Following that. You know, we saw the emergence of a lot of prime brokers having, you know, bankruptcy remote vehicles. We saw the rise of custodians, segregated custodians. We saw uh, traditional hedge funds think about what happens in the event of insolvency or bankruptcy of my prime broker, for example. Uh, that, in, in the crypto world, I really hope is going to happen over the next couple of months. Uh, for example, you know, if some, it is an event of insolvency one of your, your crypto exchanges, how do you reach out? Do you know where they're based? Do you know how you know how the process works? Do you have a do you have a process of exactly getting your assets out of that exchange quickly and moving them out, uh, not only by the way to other custodians, but potentially even moving them to cash in the event of a really a black swan scenario and on a a, a risk downside mitigation factor. So, these are the elements that I think we're going to see. Some of the big things that I expect to see now following the Celsius event is obviously a focus on counterparty risk. Uh, by the way, this is not the first time it's happening. You know, last year we had uh, one of the big, uh, you know, cr- crypto exchanges where one of the individuals who had the keys was arrested in China, or actually was, let's say... Put up, put, taken for interrogation, uh, you know. So, uh, so that there was like the crypto funds were not able to access their assets. We've had in the past hacks that happened with some of the big exchanges. So, I think the issue of counterparty risk is something I expect to see. But at the same time, I expect to see a lot of uh, regulatory developments. You know, if uh, for regulators, uh, this is a perfect moment. Uh, for example, on lending platforms like Celsius, and there's many others, by the way, there's uh, BlockFi, uh, there, there's uh, there, there's many others who are doing uh, similar uh, services, uh, not only in the U.S., by the way, but across globally, HuddleNaut, Ledin, App, and, and many others is um, – it's going to give regulators the opportunity to try to regulate the space. Many platforms, uh, Celsius is a very good example, we already had subpoenas or we're already in, in discussions with some of the state regulators, and this is all public, and you know there's a lot of media reports around it, and I think this is going to really give regulators ammunition against some of these lending platforms. And at the same time, by the way, I think the, the USD collapse on the stablecoin side Again, stablecoin is a wrong term, but let's say it was an algorithmic uh, stablecoin they had, uh, which is very different, by the way, from other stablecoins that we have, like USDC and, and others. Um, unfortunately, I think the USD, USD collapse is going to have two direct consequences. One of them, it's going to give a bad name to the broader stablecoin ecosystem, whereas you have many players who, have, who are regulated, operating by the book and doing things properly. But second as well, I think this gives a very big ammunition now to central banks to try to come into the space. And this is a topic I talk about in my book. I talk about it in my newsletters a lot. Uh, this is an area where central banks are very worried because uh, today, uh, to put things in perspective, Tom, uh, in January 1, 2020, we had less than $5 billion in stablecoins. January 1, 2020. Today, we have over $180 billion. And, you know, in many countries now, people are using stable coins. I can tell, even I have to confess myself, today when I have to pay people, it's in Latin America, and in Asia, I have to transfer money. I'm not using the banking system. I'm using stable coins. And the reason is because it's so much easier. In many emerging countries right now where there's a risk of inflation, people want to use it as a hedge against their local currency, they're switching to stable coins. Argentina is a very good example. Turkey is a very good example. Uh, In Turkey right now, it's one of the fastest growing markets for crypto because people are using it. Uh, Ukraine... Today, because of the war, a lot of people in Ukraine are using stablecoins to do their day-to-day activities. And if you're a central bank today, the Turkey, for example, example, you're not very happy to see your your population using U.S. dollar-based stablecoins. Obviously, because then you lose power from monetary policy perspective. Uh, obviously, you lose control, and there's a risk of dollarization. But not because of traditional dollarization, but dollarization risk because of of, of stable coins, which can happen faster and quicker and kind of without the control of of, uh, central banks.
1: Now, that's really fascinating because... There's been absolutely no shortage of commentary over the past few weeks on on people weighing in on on what's going wrong and why and and whether that is ultimately for the good or not, as you suggest. But but what came through in a few different pieces I read was that the concern was coming from the fact that there was a lack of precedent in uh, what was happening to to cryptocurrencies. But what you seem to be suggesting is that actually there are some parallels that can be drawn to uh, crashes in equities or, you know, 2008 or whatnot. And and that actually there are some lessons that can be learned from the traditional finance space and how this might play out for the long term and somewhat of a, 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 you know, a a maturation of the industry. But what I find that has been really striking is the difference in reactions to the past few weeks uh, volatility between those who are, you know the normies or those in 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 tradfi or, or those in the media compared to people like yourself who are actually in the space day to day the point being here that if you're reading a lot of the headlines you would think it's you know the end of days when it comes to digital assets and this is the reckoning that so many people have predicted you know yeah. glibly on twitter for so long yeah. whereas yourself and many others seem much more sanguine about it and, and much more as a Uh, a teething problem. So so could you just talk us through about what you've talked about it a bit already, but you know, what is it that you guys know in the crypto space that we don't? (laughs)
2: It's <laughs> a good. good question, Drew. I'm not sure we know things that people don't know, uh, but I think probably we're a bit more comfortable, you know, and uh, myself, and it's the case of many of many others who have been in the crypto space for, for some time. And I've been in crypto now since 2014. Uh, so this is not my first bear market. It's not my first crash. Uh, I remember very well when, uh, you know, Mount Gox collapsed, you know, which at the time, believe it or not, was having uh, between 70 to 90% of Bitcoin volumes globally. At the time, there was no other assets, by the way. It was only Bitcoin. Uh, so this is something I think people People who have been in crypto for some time have seen already the the, the ups and downs. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I personally believe that every bear market, if you think about some of the greatest companies we have in crypto, often were created during bear markets. It actually becomes a, a bit more difficult to raise money. Uh, a lot of people that were just there because they were FOMOing or they were there for the hype actually just step out of the crypto ecosystem. You know, they don't even want to join. So the people you end up with in a bear market are actually individuals who are very committed. They believe this is here to stay. They believe in the future of the asset class and they really then you know focus on building uh uh, you know building the future of finance and building the future of money uh personally that's why i'm actually quite um i actually think this crash is is going to have some negative effect for sure uh you know i think it's going to give cold feet to a lot of retail investors it's going to actually probably going to give cold feet to a lot of institutional investors i think it's going to be more difficult to get allocations through the ic's the various investment committees for example Uh, that being said, I think uh, there's there's going to be, we're going to see continuous growth in many verticals of crypto. I think the service provider ecosystem around, you know, the, the picks and shovels is going to continue to grow. Uh, areas like on DeFi, on Web3, NFTs is going to continue to grow. Uh, the crypto hedge fund space, actually, you know, even this kind of downturn, you know, for market neutral funds, it's actually not a bad time to be in, right? Uh, so there's a lot of these things you're seeing. There's a lot of opportunities for some kind of funds that you're going to still see uh, in this in this environment. But it's really going to, overall, it's going to bring, um, I think it's going to bring a lot more maturity, a bit more uh, humbleness to the crypto space as well, a bit to a certain extent, regulatory uh, oversight, which is some many would say is a bit ironic. Uh, but I think all these elements will really be uh, beneficial to the crypto industry. Like I've, I've said in every single bear market, sometimes you got to take a step back to bounce better and actually believe this bounce that we may see afterwards uh, may actually be one of the biggest ones we'll, we've seen in a long time.
0: Henry, the, the crypto space has, has been co-opted by institutional players, including hedge funds that you've mentioned. And the major selling pressure um, recently, one would assume, is partially a reaction to um, these investors having to adjust to everything going down at the same time. Yeah. So we may not know specific names, but what do we know about why people are selling at these lower levels? And and, and I guess the question I would ask is, if, if the hypothesis for them is still proving to be sound, then are they not holding out for a bounce? I mean, you suggested that there's going to be the... Greatest bounce back ever, potentially.
2: Uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's an interesting point because what's been happening is a lot of folks who really believe in crypto. If you believe in the thesis of this of asset, crypto assets, many would argue this is not a bad time to come in. Actually, you know, when actually you're having, uh, I know a lot of people I talk to, a lot of people in the in the traditional hedge fund industry tell me oh henry we missed it are we too late that's a question i get asked all the time but if you if you look at it now actually it's potentially a pretty good time to come in uh you know bitcoin just at the time of recording today bitcoin just over 20,000 uh, you know eth around 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 $1000 as well and they're actually pretty interesting prices compared to only 6 7 months ago uh, so i think for, if you have a long term perspective this is not a bad time to to get to you know uh, to uh, to get into the market i can tell you myself uh, with the crash that happened last week i was even buying more crypto you know and i've been buying since 2014 So again, it shows you how, I think for, and I'm I'm not the only one, a lot of people in crypto have been doing the same thing, uh, have been actually loading up on some, um, you know, on Bitcoin, Ethereum and other layer one assets they quite like. Um, Now, uh, is it, what's going to be when is the bounce going to happen again no, we don 't know I think that's a very difficult question to say you know many would believe that this bear market can last for a while and actually, something that I think a lot of the people in crypto are realizing more and more that is that crypto markets are probably more sensitive sensitive to uh a fed and central bank actions that many believed you know and I think uh, so while I think people will continue to build uh, at the same time, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, firms. Enter the crypto space, taking advantage of the markets right now, uh, and you know, uh, especially those who have a more long-term perspective, especially like th- fir- firms like family offices, uh, high net worth individuals, and actually a lot of the hedge funds as well, where there's a bit more, let's say, comfort with risk management. There's a bit more experience and expertise. I expect a lot of these uh, these firms as well to potentially look at the space, uh, despite of the despite of the market conditions in crypto.
1: And I think there is ultimately, whether you uh, come out of this as as a bull or a bear for, for crypto, there are definitely lessons to be learned and, and the market continues to mature. And at the heart of all of this does seem to be the ongoing educational process of the digital asset space. You know, not just for, for those of us that are, are very much the beginning of that journey like myself, but but I guess even for the people that have been in space for a long time, you know, as digital assets react for the first time in different market conditions we're all on this journey together and in, in some form or other and 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 resources like your new book and the the prolific social media content that you put out there the videos the updates the blogs that, that you and and people like you're putting out are, are really an invaluable resource to those of us um as as we progress so thank you so much for for doing that and please continue to do so
2: and just on that point where I think you raise a very important point, it's education, right? And this is, I think, the one advice I have to everybody in this space is, you know, you may love Bitcoin, you may hate it, you know, you may believe in decentralized assets, or you may not, you know, you may think it's all a bubble, it may not. However, I think we all have this intellectual duty. To at least understand how it works, you know, understand the asset class, and then you can make an objective judgment call whether it's, you know, it's it's a, you know, it's it's worthless or actually this is the future of, of money. Uh, I think so. I think that the biggest the biggest advice I give to people is, you know, just you know, it's now it's it's been it's never been easier to learn about crypto. Uh, for example, you know, I have, I have an online course on Udemy. It's actually the highest ranked course on Udemy, which is a 90 minutes course introduction to crypto for financial services professionals. I'm actually now working on LinkedIn. I'm gonna launch a couple of courses on LinkedIn for crypto as well. Uh, But also the book is a very good example, right? Where people wanna read about, understand the asset class. Uh, And the other thing I say to people, especially as we are entering the summer season, you know, if you wanna look at giving, give somebody as a wedding gift, a baptism gift, a bar mitzvah gift, a graduation gift or whatever, you know, uh, why don't you give them a bit of crypto, you know, an amount you're happy to lose. It's a very good way to learn, especially with your kids or uh, people in your family. I, think, I find that's often when people start using it, they actually start realizing the power of it. Uh, and the other, you know, last uh, thing I tell to a lot of fund managers, you know, I've had this conversation with many CIOs, many uh, people at the senior level in financial institutions. They tell me, oh, I don't understand this. Or, oh, you know, it's uh, uh, and I always often tell them, ask the young, youngest member in your family. Literally, when you're meeting them for 4th of July or barbecue or whatever event, literally go find the youngest member in your family, ask them what they think about crypto. And you'll be surprised of their answer. You know, I have the privilege, uh, as you mentioned at uh, the start, I'm, I'm, I've been teaching uh, crypto in university now since 2015, you know, I, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I deal with students all the time in my various courses. Um, you'll be surprised how comfortable young people are with digital assets. In many cases, they're very, they don't want it, they don't trust the banks. They're very happy to deal with lending platforms online. And also, they're very happy with actually owning like NFTs or digital assets. I mean, the best example is gaming. You know, we often forget, we talk about metaverses, but the biggest metaverses right now are, are online games League of Legends World of Warcraft uh, you know and the many, many other games that, you know people play today and uh, these are there's people making an entire living out of these games for many of my students when I asked them in class their most valuable assets are their skins or the guns they have in these video games you know so I think there's a, there's a whole generational issue as well that we need to we need to get you know get 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 comfortable with. So really, if there's one piece of advice, it's education. It's never been easier. There's many free tools out there, many books now, a lot of online content, uh, and I think then you can make a educated decision on what your 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 view is on the asset class.
0: And if you don't give them a bit of crypto, give them the book of crypto. Right, the complete guide <laughs> to understanding Bitcoin, yeah. cryptocurrencies, and digital assets by by your good self, Henry, and it's available on all good book outlets and we've only scraped the surface as you say i mean we could come back and we will get you back on to talk a little bit about nfts and DeFi's. i mean i need to go through that jargon alone as well so certainly there's a there's another episode or two in the offing there but many many thanks for your time today henry
2: thank you very much uh thank you tom thank you drew thanks for having me on the long short a big fan of what AMA's doing in the space so keep up the good work and thanks for having me today
1: and good luck with nine blocks Thank you. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, amaz.org. Thanks for listening.